0: I want to explore how we, as a freshly inspired and constructed people, can invest what we are in a pursuit of influence and blessing. We already have four stated values that we hold as a congregation. I believe these capture well the activity that the church should be putting its energy into. And it's not about where are we going or what vision are we casting. The question that we asked, the the, the reason these values existed in the life of the church is because we sat down as a governance team not long after I started and I actually asked ourselves, asked asked the group, tell me about this church, tell me about the things that we major. When you consider the ministries of the church, when you consider the basic functions of the church according to Scripture... In what way do we do those things well and how can we sum those things up to describe us and our expression of that? So I don't come here when it comes to November talking about vision casting and, and future-driven stuff and things like that. I don't come here as some sort of guru or some sort of you know, mega-church pastor going, this is where we're going. No, actually I've, I've take, we have taken time to really soul-search and go, who are we? And what do we do really well, and how do we capture who we are and do that really well, particularly in a 2020 setting, as that comes up? I see a very strong relationship between the virtues of Peter and the values of Mount Gambia Baptist Church. And I believe that in 2020, our values as a congregation actually need your virtues to add strength to that so that we as a church can wield influence and be a blessing to others. So over the month of November, we're going to be talking about who are who we are. And I want to set some very, I really believe we've got some very, 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 Simple goals when it comes to who we are and how we can best express that coming into the year ahead. I think the more advanced we get into these sorts of values that we have, the simpler they become and the simpler they should be. So I believe we've got some good tangible stuff here today. So the first, value I want to explore today is simply this one. We are committed to being a disciple-making congregation. If you haven't seen that on the wall or on our website or anywhere yet, this might be a surprise, but we've done our best to try to get this out there in times. We are committed to being a disciple-making congregation. What we've been working through in this teaching series over the year is in reality one of the scriptural frameworks of discipleship. And hopefully this is why it has made a lot of sense for many over the course of the year. Faith is the start of that discipleship journey. Love is the end game because that virtue anticipates the fullness of the kingdom to come. And all these other things in the middle, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, these are all parts of the journey towards that end, that end game that is love. According to Peter, they're all supposed to be happening on a growth curve. In increasing measure, is how Peter puts it. And they all feed into our personal growth and transformation, as well as our connection to Christian community. That's just one framework of discipleship that we've looked at through the course of the year. Jesus in the Gospels is quite clear about what he expects disciples to look like. And much of that sits under a rather simple, overarching phrase. Follow me. At the start, with Peter, James, John, and eventually Matthew, follow me was framed around leaving your post, leaving your life as you knew it the tax office desk, the boats and the fishing nets. All in order to follow a rabbi around a small nation and fish for people. It was addressed in other ways too. For someone wanting to put things off in order to fulfill certain family duties. Jesus' answer was, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Please understand here, Jesus was not telling people to stop being parents, kids, or spouses. There was more going on in their honor-shame setting that we don't have time to explore here. But what Jesus was talking about was a certain frivolous thing going on that he said, no, leave that. Let the dead bury the dead. Get on with serving me. In another time, a pious young man had everything he ever wanted and and had the spirituality to back it up, apparently, but still had the sense that things weren't quite right. It's the rich young ruler. And Jesus says to that guy, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, be content with the assurance of treasure in heaven. And then with the burden of wealth no longer a factor, answer the call, follow me. We've got crowds and hangers on. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me, Jesus says to them. And just as Jesus is about to step into the opposition that would eventually lead to his death, he eyeballs his own disciples and says this, whoever wants to be my disciple needs to deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow him. Discipleship is a commitment to follow Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the reward, no matter the opinion of others, no matter the opposition, no matter the outcome to ourselves, no matter the demise of our own empires and agendas. And discipleship pretty much covers all the ground in the Gospels between come and see." to go and make. And friends, I fear that discipleship as described by the red letters, the stuff that Jesus talked about, is not always the model of discipleship we see in the Australian church. And I believe this needs correcting because it's a muscle in the church that is slowly going into atrophy a little bit. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was credited as saying, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Imagine sitting in his church in Germany during World War II and hearing that. <laughs> Scott McKnight offers a description of a Christian disciple. A Christian is one who follows Jesus by devoting their whole life to the kingdom of God, who is fired by Jesus' own imagination and committed to a life of loving God and loving others, to a society shaped by justice, especially for those who have been marginalized, to peace, and to a life devoted to acquiring wisdom in the context of a local church. And then he says this, that sort of life can only be discovered by being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. He writes a whole book, And Because this is, when I've thought about what being a disciple of Jesus is, this is how I would sum it up. More locally, guys like Stuart Devonish and other guys thought of some really good stuff as well. I want to put these up on screen to consider what a disciple, these are some of the things that some guys believe makes up a healthy disciple. And the first one that they're talking about straight up, if we're looking at at how to build disciples in the local church, he's saying, pastors, look for these things. House church leaders, look for these things. Elders, look for these things. People in the mirror, look for these things. First thing, a sense of spiritual arousal towards God. In other words, God can nudge or speak, and we are capable of sensing or hearing that. A real hunger for God, demonstrated in your ability, in in your teachability, in your responsiveness and your willingness to grow. If we brush things off of, I've heard it all before, I already know that, you can't teach me anything new, then you are not this. bit of a novel thought here, there's an actual knowledge of the Bible going on shaped by regular study that leads to a capacity to teach others. Bible literacy in Aussie churches has actually been the subject of many a blog over the last 20 years and drawn the ire of a lot of Christian leaders. It's amazing how many times a minister can quote Jesus, the red letters, in the context of a local church and people stare at you like you speak in a foreign language. A working knowledge of the Scriptures There's tangible transformation. Evidence of Christ like character and authentic sanctity going on inside and out. You know it, and others know it too. There's a positive and intentional engagement with the spiritual life through prayer. There is an all of life approach to faith. We integrate faith and life. We don't separate those two things. I've got my church thing over here, got my life thing over here. They will never intertwine. There's a regular participation in communal worship, in witness and service. If we don't do Christianity, it's really hard. If we don't do community, it's really hard to do Christianity. And witness and discipleship are more interwoven than we are willing to acknowledge, acknowledge at times. Not being an evangelist is not an excuse to not be a witness. There's a willingness to testify to their faith and live countercultural lives. When the, the stream is going that way, sometimes we have to swim against it, right? There's a sensitivity to the needs of others. There's generosity with time, money, other resources. Our wallets and our diaries tell a strong tale about the nature of our discipleship. There's the deliberately seeking to abide in Christ, being joined into the vine, taking this time to really find the presence of Jesus and be locked into that. (coughs) And there is a mindset that looks to Christ's return. This is not exhaustive, but it's a pretty good list. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm going to take a moment here, a bit of personal reflection. Where are we at with this sort of discipleship journey? This is not... A case of try harder and tick the boxes. We need to make sure we know that. All of this happens because the grace of God equips us to do it. This happens, you don't try to be spiritually aroused to God. The spirit moves in our life and grips us and puts that, that actual ability in us. Knowledge of the Bible, well God gave me a memory because I didn't have a good one before that. I've learned over years to have the wisdom to know where my faith fits into the course of my life. Willing to testify, Jesus actually says, a spirit will come on you and you will be my witness. Hopefully you're seeing now that these are spirit-led, spirit-driven things. They're part of the grace of God working in your life. With that, give me let me give you 60 seconds to reflect on that list. How are they going? I'll talk about something practical with that in a moment. one or two things in your mind? I'll come back to it a bit later. I want to take a moment to invite you into something bold and deliberate as we consider discipleship for 2020. And I'm going to credit a guy named Dan Spader with this. This visual idea in front of me here is actually going to tell a story, and you, I uh, hope, are going to see yourself in this somewhere. I said earlier that discipleship in the Gospels begins with come and see, and it culminates with go and make. Matthew 28. Come and see, one of the Potential disciples goes, can anything good come out of Galilee and and, and come out of Nazareth and that? And the answer is, come and see. All of us here today are occupying one of these four chairs. The first chair I'm sitting in right now represents what is called a seeker. I wonder if you can see that sharing your faith in your settings that you find yourself in, around the lunch table and that sort of stuff, is actually as much, perhaps even more so, discipleship as it is evangelism. I'm beginning to conclude that the evangelism journey is simply the alerting process, alerting people to the kingdom of God, alerting people to the rule of Jesus. But the moment they turn and come and have a look, the minute they go, All right, I'm going to come and see, I'm going to interact with what you have to say, I'm going to engage with your worldview, something shifts and it becomes more like discipleship taking place than evangelism. And this is the chair in which they sit it's the seeker's chair. Over the year, we've had people take this seat even in the building. Although not a believer, they have been in deep conversation with us about the claims of Jesus. We're no longer announcing Jesus to them, we're explaining him. The actual step of leading a person to belief and followership is a disciple-making act. So there are people who occupy this seat, and we call them seekers. The leap from this chair to this chair is from seeker to convert. Here in this chair, you no longer need convincing about the claims of Jesus. You actually need instruction about the simple things of following Him. You need a lot of encouragement and assurance in this particular space. In this chair, we explore things like baptism. And the greatest thing I believe converts need to know at this stage of their faith walk is the tangible presence and leading of the Holy Spirit so that he can continue to teach stuff even when you're alone and you need him to do so. Because that's what Jesus said the Spirit would do. Then we go, you know what? There's a Wren Collective song that says, I've counted up the cost and you are worth it. There's an old hymn sung under really dim circumstances. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Moving from convert to disciple is the act of counting the cost of following Jesus, deciding it's worth it, and going all in. Here, you might think we're still sort of dipping our toes, still trying to work this thing out, trying to go, gee, can I see myself doing this for the long haul? But then uh, something flicks, a switch flicks, and we go, you know what? That's it, I'm here. Jesus says, follow me. Take your up cross. Come and die. Seek first the kingdom. And we emphatically say, okay. The disciple chair is where we go deeper and get more ensconced in community. And we undergo degrees of transformation. We start chipping away at those things that were on that list just before. It can be tough at times, it can be emotional at times, it can be scary at times. there is joy and there is peace and there's amazing times in this space that far outweigh the tough ones. Something happens in this spot though. In the Western church particularly. There is this last step, this last chair. And the longer we sit in this one, the more This one gets further away from us. This one can hold us captive at times. It gets more and more comfortable. Who here has a favorite chair in their lounge room? It is your favorite. I love the Big Bang Theory. You know, Sheldon Cooper's got that one spot. It's in the perfect spot for all the the heating and cooling, the work around him, and it's the perfect angle for the television, and it perfectly fits his his bottom cheeks. You know, all this, everything, all, it's got like this perfect environment for that one chair, and sometimes this disciple chair kind of gets like that. Our imprint has kind of been, we know if the cushion's been turned over or something like that, it's just not the same. We can get very, 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 very comfortable in this disciple's chair. But we're called to not get too comfortable there. And instead, understand that the end game is to actually get to a point where the fourth chair gets closer, gets more deliberate, and we enter a thing called disciple making. The Matthew 28 go and make scenario. It's not necessarily evangelism, you might not have to go out there and proclaim, but there's a whole heap of people in these other chairs who actually need what you have. And in this chair, you actually begin to wield influence and deliberately lead and build and take responsibility for the other three. I say all this because our discipleship goals for 2020 actually fit this chair model really well. Somewhere between the seeker and the convert model. Seeing how that fits. People who are exploring the claims of Christ. People who are trying to work out the basics of following Jesus into this. We use the Alpha program to use both those things. Ideally, baptism happens about here. Elementary kind of bridges the gap from one to the next. And our house churches definitely do this part really well and in theory, I believe the time is right for us to really be producing fourth chair people also in the life of the church. from 2019 I want to commend Matt and Celtia and what they how they led their house church with the Alpha program this year and how they also led in other certain ways in the life, in, in, in in how they've actually structured the group this particular year. I think there's a really good precedent where when we have Alpha going on what if in the two times it's run in 2020 A House Church chose to embrace that, to adopt it, and to actually, one, get your own vocabulary for mission, but also play a role in actually influencing the people who are seeking or trying to work out their first steps in faith through the Alpha program. You can actually play an influential role in doing that. I actually commend Matt and Sel for leading a charge with that last Alpha we ran. Thank you for that. But there's opportunity here for us to actually really just wield influence in a number of different ways across the, the board here. The elementary material is out there for people to use. In 2019, we plan for four baptism services, and in two weeks, we will have our fourth. Every time they have been populated. If you're thinking about being baptized... Can I encourage you to think about that in two weeks? Be part of that. It's all the the water will be there. People are being baptized. Why don't you get amongst the fray? For me, the scriptural reality is that baptism is a second, perhaps into third chair reality. I don't know where this idea of waiting till I'm totally serious about my faith till I get baptized came from. It's not how the New Testament describes baptism, it's part of our development as a new believer. Even in other traditions where alternatives have been used, it's still something done young or early in life. Going by the timelines and I see in Scripture, I don't see a lot of new converts having it all worked out before getting baptized. And I don't believe that expectation is even there. Other than repent and believe, I don't know what else the Scriptures call being ready for baptism is. For those looking to go deeper in their third chair, Alpha Cruces College will run in twenty twenty also. We'll continue to have people doing the journey of study. Andrew's actually just about finished. He actually has finished. Hopefully, his uh, cert four work has completed a certificate four with that particular thing over two years, and it's done really really well in reflecting on how that has grown him. And we're going once he gets the paperwork from the college, we will be celebrating that as a church because that's a big achievement. But perhaps others want to pursue that in 2020 also. House church leaders, if there's a few too many cushions in your disciple's chair, in 2020 can ask you to perhaps remove a few. I love the story of an eagle and its baby and its and its babies. In a nest, eventually they actually, to make the young eagle fly, they actually begin to. Put barbs and move things in the nest, so that every false move the thing gets prodded and, and 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 it creates a degree of discomfort in the nest. So eventually it goes, oh gee, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to spread my wings. Now it's really funny if the little baby the eagle still hasn't got the picture by that point, the eagle actually hoists it out, pushes it out, and it goes, now start flying. You know, they call that leadership learning by immersion. And then, it's not just a heartless thing. If it's not flying even after that, the mum will come down and swoop and pick it up again, put it back in. But it will push it out again until it flies. Has our third chair, if we're in that third chair, has it gotten a little bit too comfortable for us? I'm going to go basically with three goals for 2020 that I believe as a, disciple, as a disciple-making church we can really fulfill these things. Here we are. First up, going by that list I just showed before, everyone identifies a few areas in their own life that need some work. There is no such thing this side of eternity as arrival. I haven't arrived, you haven't arrived... On that list, there are things I'm going, not. you know, some things I go, amen, there's some things I go, oh, me. And I know I'm not alone in the building. If there was something back there that said, man, I, I really got to address that. I Okay, you know, it's been a while since I really had that sense of arousal to God. I really need to wake up. Or, gee, generosity, yeah, that's my next natural step. or or any one of those things, the ability to teach others, whatever it is, if there's something in that list that goes, man, I've got to to jump on that, don't just identify it as a weakness and leave it. In gym talk, we have this thing, never skip leg day. You know, there's a lot of gym junkies out there that will do all their upper body things so when they take their shirt off, they look really ripped, but then their legs are like this thick. And there's always this running joke saying never skip leg day. You know what? Maybe some of those things are weaknesses and they are leg day for your workout and you spin the spirit. Let's not skip those things. Two, that everyone identifies the chair they currently operates occupy in. And here's the doozy. Move across one over twenty twenty. move one chair if you're seeking and you've been hanging around with us for a long time what's it what will it take for us to get to the point where you go okay I now believe this thing I'm going to I'm going to give Jesus my life what are you waiting for jump across maybe you're a person you know someone might have led you through a prayer or or you've kind of just stumbled across the life of the church somehow or you've been in contact with other Christians and you've got this really entry-level understanding of Jesus at this point and you've been sitting around that for quite a while. What stops you to going? you know what, I'm going to count the cost and make Jesus everything. This is where, go and make disciples, this is what we need to become. This is my most riskiest goal. One I have to take personal responsibility for. Would the next 10 disciple makers please stand up? (laughs) Not right this minute, going. but in the next 30 minutes. I believe the Lord has actually told me to take personal responsibility in building up and investing in fourth chair people in 2020. House church leaders, this is the vocabulary I will use. Who are your fourth chairers? Send them my way. That investment begins sparing no expense with these relay battens. My belief from the Lord in my time with Him as I've considered the year ahead is that even now there are 10 people ready to go straight away. Someone ran and took one of these battens this morning. <laughs> Look out. there are 10 people in our congregation right now who have been challenged by the Lord to take up residence in this chair In in 2020 with the rate of growth we've seen in the life of the church this congregation needs you now One of my governing verses is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. In my ADHD, a lot of twos just makes a sense, just helps. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you see the perpetual nature of that? Do you see the relay-esque style of that verse? Paul goes, here, Tim, have that. Tim, hand it on to someone else. Once the service is over, and no one's looking, I'm going to ask those 10 people, come up, grab a baton, stick your name on it, put it back down. Do I need to repeat that? Baton, name, back on chair. I will then commit to working with you to help you find your unique way of doing the fourth chair work that you call to. And I believe it actually some of those might actually look quite different to how you might currently think now. I believe some new and interesting ways will emerge as we bounce off each other and learn how to do this discipleship thing even sharper again. So there we are. We've had this value about being deliberate about discipleship for quite some time. As a church, we've done incredibly well. There are people that constantly report that they know more now than they did a year ago, that they have grown more now than they were a year ago, that they are fulfilling, that they are, um, that they, they, there's things in their life happening, that there are victories emerging, that there is just all these, and even callings beginning to emerge and understandings of their purpose coming out. There's transformation taking place and people constantly reporting about that. There is all these great things that indicate that as a church we value and we pursue discipleship really well. But I know the Lord has even more for us to do. Those ten we kind of need. I believe we're going to really knock this value out of the park in 2020. 2020. And I believe you're going to knock it out of the park too in your own transformation, in your own journey as as being a disciple also. I hope some of this has made sense. I hope some of this has inspired. I hope if you knew, you understand that we're actually going to be building people in 2020. That we're in the business of building disciples of Jesus. If a church doesn't have discipleship, it ceases to be one but we're going to put a lot of energy into that in the year to come. Let's pray.